industrial accidents, ancient Solving poisoners, crime, poison prevention. This is Toxic History. Dr. Peter Akpononu is an Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine and Medical Toxicology at the University of Kentucky and the Medical Director of the Kentucky Poison Center. He directs the Medical Toxicology Service as well as the Undersea and Hyperbaric Medicine Service. He is the Site Director of the Radiation Injury Treatment Network, and in his free time, he loves spending time with his daughter, which is wonderful. Peter, I'm really excited to hear you talk. It's all yours. Thank you for the wonderful, wonderful introduction, Adam. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to share talks history because I think most of us in some way, shape or form are history nerds. Um, I do want to preface this with, please give me a little bit of a pass. My daughter has decided to share her viral illness with me. So I'm slowly losing my voice. <laughs> um, a little background, let's set it up. It's 1971. Um, what do we have? Uh, according to Fashion Magazine, hot pants are all the rage. And Sonny and Cher are getting ready to start their variety show, which is going to run for four seasons on television. However, in Iraq at the time, they're experiencing a drought, one that has been ongoing since the 1960s, with what may be some of the worst years occurring in 1969. Um, the drought has caused severe famine, and nearly half a million people, particularly in the northern region of Iraq, are near starvation. So... As a means of trying to quell this drought, what have we decided? The Iraqi government has elected to import approximately 95 tons of grain from the United States and Mexico, in particular wheat and barley. The formulation they have selected is manufactured by Cargill and is known as MexiPak. And it's a particularly high potency wheat and barley mix that is known to produce quite a bit of grain, quite a bit of seed for the following years. Um, you'll notice a nice picture of Saddam Hussein in here. He'll come back up later, as he always does in Iraqi history. But at this time, he is the number two in the government and also helping to spearhead the decision to bring in imported grain. What dis kind of distance are we getting ready to cover here? So if we're going to travel from the United States to Iraq with grain, how are we going to get it there? Obviously, land is not a solution for us. Well, maybe we can take it by air. At a time in 1971, the largest military transport vehicle that we had was the Lockheed Martin, was a Lockheed, excuse me, not Martin yet, C-5 Galaxy, which was able to carry about 118 tons as a maximum payload with an effective distance of somewhere just around five and a half thousand kilometers. You'll note that that air travel distance is just shy of 18,000 kilometers here. So fully maxed out, you're looking at potentially two to three stops um, to deliver grain. If we can do half of the payload, um, we're right around that range of 8,000 kilometers, we can probably make this with just one single stop. Um, at this point, we're not really that interested in flying military aircraft over there um, to do this payload dump, so we'll go ahead and do it by sea. By sea, it's about 11,500 nautical miles to make it from Mexico to Iraq, and this is taking a route that takes you through the Caribbean Sea, the North Atlantic, the Mediterranean, um, down the Red Sea, then back around past the Gulf of Oman and into the Persian Gulf. Um, traveling at about 20 knots or so, which is about an average speed, would take about 24 days to get there by sea. What does it mean to travel by sea? Well, it means we're going to take this by boat over water, which is going to put it in nice, warm, humid water, and we are going to lose aspects of this grain 
to rodents, to germination, as well as to mold. So what can we do? Mold is going to be the big killer here. Let's try and prevent mold from growing. So what do we do? We treat the grains. Um, prior to shipment, we can treat them with acid. We can treat them with triazole antifungals, um, methoxyacrylates, or even heavy metals to prevent mold formation. Um, the disadvantage to tree having to treat this grain is, especially with the heavy metals and methoxyacrylates, is that you can only use that as effectively field grain for the first year. So plant it, wait for it to grow, collect the seeds and then replant for the next year. Or if you've used the triazole antifungals, you may be able to use it to feed livestock in the interim time. So a decision has to be made as to what we're going to treat this grain with. And a decision is made by the Iraqi government that they are going to treat the grain with methylmercury. Why methylmercury? It's very effective at stopping mold. And at the time, it's incredibly cheap. Uh, methylmercury use has been banned in Scandinavia, the United Kingdom, and in several states within the USA at that time, which creates an excess of methylmercury, making it very cheap to use and available. So the grain is transported by boat, makes it all the way to Basra. The wheat arrives somewhere between mid-September and mid-October, and the barley arrives at the end of October to the end of November. And then the grain is transported by land all the way to the northern governance of Nineveh, uh, Kirkuk, and Herbal. When it arrives, they arrive in October and November, which is after the Iraqi planting season. For those that like to have maps and physical things, here we see. So the Persian Gulf is down to our bottom right here, and this is where the grain is brought into. But we see we need to get all the way up to northern Iraq to hit those provinces of Herbal, Nineveh, and uh, Kirkuk. So how do we distribute the grain? Well, the grain gets distributed by the government. All the farmers present to get their free grain and they have to sign a form and sometimes even put fingerprints down stating that they understand that this grain is poison. Although of course, with anything done after the fact, there are questions as to whether they were actually told that this was poison or whether they completely understood what it meant that this was poison. Um, interesting to note when you look at the packaging, the packaging in the bags for the grain, the warning labels are only written in English or Spanish. Nothing is written in Arabic or other native Iraqi languages. The seed is colored pink to orange in color with a little bit of a dye. And this is in the hopes that people recognize that it is different than the other grain that is there, um, but does not impart any sort of warning necessarily that this is a poison as well. And a few of the other bags are reported to have been labeled with skull and crossbones, which is great if you're in a Western culture and understand that skull and crossbones means death. However, moved to the Arab world, in particular Iraq, and the skull and crossbones doesn't mean anything. It is not a particularly good warning. So what have we done? Let's put this with some economics and, and timing and effect. Everyone has already planted their grain for the year. So those that have excess grain are able to keep their grain to feed to their livestock or use to feed their family. And those that are short are out of all their grain because they planted it. Um, the grain is being distributed for free or at a very nominal feed, depending on who's actually doing the distribution to you. So what does this do? It creates this very large excess of grain in, in Iraq. And this drops the overall value of the grain, um, making people even less likely to go ahead and plant that grain. Some folks begin to throw out grain 
simply in the hopes of curving their inflation and keeping their grain, um, having their grain retain value. Those that don't have much grain now see that they have excess grain with which they can make food and feed their livestock, something that they had not considered before. So what do they do? It's covered in this pink, orange kind of dye. You wash the grain as you would before you would feed it to your animals anyways. They wash the grain and the pink and the orange go off. So anything that makes it different is, is clearly gone. It's safe to use. For folks that are still skeptical of the government, um, they take this and they go ahead and feed it to their livestock and watch their livestock. And, you know, over two weeks time, the livestock are still behaving normally. Nothing bad has happened. So this is probably safe to go ahead to use and feed myself and feed my family. The assumption is that it is now safe for human consumption. So whatever grain was left over from feeding cattle and that didn't seem to um, cause any untoward effect is then used to bake bread and other baked goods. Um, some is even used to feed birds um, because if you, if you have a farm, you know that wherever there's seed around, you will find birds and in particular game birds as well. Um, there are a couple of news reports about the kids enjoying eating the pink bread, this specialty pink bread that they had never seen before. The problem is in dealing with methylmercury that our real time, let's call it almost an incubation period, is anywhere from 16 to 38 days. So two weeks to nearly five, five greater than five weeks. Um, the folks that present come in with their most common presenting symptom being paresthesias, ataxia, and then eventual um, visual disturbance. Um, some of these patients progressed to death. Others reportedly got better or only experienced mild symptoms. Other symptoms that were noted, blindness, cerebral palsy, deafness, growth delays, lung function impairment, and small head. Um, when you read between the lines here, you can see that these are all problems in particular for children. Um, that's because that is the largest group that is going to be one of the largest groups to be affected here. So paresthesias and ataxia were be started to appear amongst the young and the old um, within effectively that nearly 38-day window of the grain being distributed. Um, the first cases were admitted on the 21st of December, 1971. So we are a day away from 51 years to the date of the first cases in Kirkuk. Um, and on the the day after Christmas in 1971, a general warning was sent by the government to stay away from the grain. And then starting in January of 1972, law was initiated where the Iraq army was to charge with enforcing the disposal and re reclamation of all of this grain. So if you were found to still be in possession of this Mexipac, this imported grain, um, it was an offense punishable by death. So what happens then? Death penalty seems a little bit harsh to me, but it, this is a rock and people know that they mean business. So <laughs> they take the grain and they dump it in the water. They dump it in their local waterways, local lakes and everything else. So tons of mercury tainted grain are dumped into these rivers and lakes. And now the fish become contaminated. The folks that had managed to avoid eating grain because they were avoiding carbs this whole time and managed to avoid eating sheep and cattle are now in trouble because their fish are being contaminated. There's another newspaper report of one of the uh, part of one of the locals saying, yeah, I knew I couldn't eat the livestock and we couldn't go fishing, but it was a great time because all these game birds were around. Well, these same birds are eating the same grain and still becoming toxic uh, from the mercury at that point. This sounds familiar and it should. Something similar happened to us in Minimata Bay during which time the Chiso Chemical Company um, 
dumped a fair amount of methylmercury in a mini mata bay, contaminating the food and the seawater. And then we had notes of the cats behaving abnormally. So cat dancing disease or the song of the dancing cats for all the bush fanatics out there and crows reportedly falling from the sky. Um, in terms of mini mata, as of 2001, there were 2,265 2, confirmed cases, um, nearly 1,800 of whom died. And I think that number still continues to climb uh, every year. The response, so astute physicians recognized the symptoms that their patients were having, and they recognized them as mercury poisoning. Why did they recognize them as mercury poisoning? Because there had been a mercury poisoning before in Iraq in the 1960s. Interestingly enough, in the 1960s with the prior mercury poisoning, one, Saddam Hussein was the minister of agriculture at the time. So if you like to believe in conspiracies, Maybe there was something more to his selection of methylmercury than before. Um, methylmercury was rapidly identified as a causative agent um, and recognized that it had been used as a fungicide for the grain. Um, leftover wheat that was tested was found to have anywhere from 2 to 16 milligrams per kilogram of methylmercury. And the Mexipac samples contained on average about 7.9 micrograms per gram of mercury. Um, the toxicity here in the source was associated with the consumption of animals that had been fed this dressed seed, as well as direct consumption of the grain and grain products, so the bread, the pink bread that we had talked about before. Um, with Minimana, we typically saw mostly this related to aquatic wildlife um, here. Again, this is more terrestrial, aquatic, uh, terrestrial life, not aquatic. Um, methylmercury was, was still able to be found in areas in the soil where the dressed seed had been planted. And... Um, toxic levels had also been found in, in seed-consuming fish. So wheat was a staple of these rural communities. The average intake of bread was about three loaves of bread a day, which comes out to about 200 grams per day. Um, so the methylmercury levels of 2 to 16 milligrams in the dressed wheat seed equals quite a bit of daily ingested mercury. Experimentally, there's baking bread that does not decrease the amount of mercury that is present in the wheat and in the content of what you're going to eat. Barley was also implicated as a culprit, and this was believed to be fed mostly to sheep. Um, in experimental models, you'll see increases in mercury in the muscle as well as in the kidney, and this has a biological half-life of all the way out to about 10 days. Experimentally, cooking uh, sheep meat will reduce the amount of mercury by about 20%. Does not resolve the problem, but still can reduce your total overall exposure and burden. However, when they took samples from the sheep that were in the area, um, it didn't appear as though they had as much mercury, as high mercury concentrations as was expected or anticipated. This could either be because they weren't being fed the barley appropriately or something else occurred. You know, Illicit manufacture of mead and other alcohols does still occur in Iraq. Barley is a great source for that as well. Just another reminder of what our seed looked like and the lack of warning labels that were there. Methylmercury is our culprit, rapidly absorbed from the GI tract, half-life on the order of 70 days. It likes to bind to cysteine proteins, and this complex is able to cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, in children, this causes a so-called quiet baby syndrome, where the baby rarely or almost never cries. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the appropriate amount of crying for a child to do is. There's too much, there's too little, and either one of those means that there's a neurologic problem, and right in the middle means it's just fine. I'm not certain what that is. But quiet baby syndrome is recognized as a symptom of methylmercury-induced brain damage. 
um, in comparison to many mana here where they had many mana disease in Iraq, the vast majority of people reported mild symptoms and most people improved, which is in stark contrast to what we see in Japan. Um, in particular in Iraq, we actually saw lower IQs, maybe a little bit of higher mortality than expected. The data in Iraq is a little bit difficult to work with. Um, Arabic and Iraqi tradition would be if you were sick, not to go to the hospital to die or felt you were going to die. You could die at home. So this leads to underreporting of people that have illness, lack of recognition of the mercury poisoning. And then there's, of course, always questions of whether there was governmental suppression in terms of how many people actually became ill and died. Um, unique to Iraq as well is the report of GI symptoms related to abdominal pain and uh, diarrhea when compared to many modern Japan. So prenatal poisoning, here is the, you know, the lab, the dangerous lab that we never really want to do. Um, there were six cases of prenatal methylmercury poison that were able to be detailed. Um, aspects of this are pretty difficult because um, there are many confounding variables to that could explain cognitive impairment seen amongst these six children. Um, definitely, if you are in a you know, near starvation state, that is something that will cause cognitive impairment down the road. What do we blame on mercury? What do we blame on nutrition overall? Um, in this case, at least from what we observed, prenatal poisoning appears to be irreversible. And for the children that they saw, they tracked all the way to two years of age. They did not show signs of improvement. So what do we do? Well, this is again, that giant experiment. So here's the opportunity to test all of our chemical countermeasures and our antidotes. Um, so given the large number of people that were symptomatic and exposed, multiple treatments were attempted. Polyphenol resins, penicillamine and DMPS were believed to be helpful in that group. With penicillamine and DMPS, they saw increases in urinary excretion of mercury. And with the polyphenol resins, they saw increases in elimination via the fecal route. In the end, um, 6,500 patients were admitted to the hospital, over 400 died. Um, children under the age of 10 represented at least, represented one third of the patients um, that were treated. Um, conf we confirmed that methylmercury can be passed to a child in utero. Um, however, because of the reasons we detailed before, some of those numbers are expected to likely be higher. Um, there are uh, estimates all the way up to potentially 28% uh, people being exposed to having a morbid condition and 21% in terms of mortality as a result of their methylmercury exposure. Following this, the Food and Agriculture Organization along with the World Health Organization collaborate to come up with some rules about what can we do to make sure that this doesn't happen and make sure it doesn't occur, I guess not for a second time, but a third time given that it happened already in 1960. So most importantly, what do we want? We wanna put warning labels in the native language. Um, if I'm shipping something to Iraq, I should make sure that everybody in Iraq can read and understand what warning label I'm putting on there. Um, make sure that the warnings are locally understood and that if we're going to use signs and symbols, that they mean something to the people that are receiving it, as well as the addition of a bittering agent, something to make the taste unpleasant so people don't want to eat it and cattle and other things don't want to eat it as well. Our full effects are still unknown. Um, Parkinsonism and mercury poisoning share some similar symptoms. And when you look in comparison, um, Iraq has a higher rate of Parkinsonism and Parkinson-related death than you would truly expect for its population. It's unclear whether this is related to mercury or some other cause. 
We also now know that methylmercury can cross the blood-brain barrier, and once it's in the brain, it has a biological half-life of on the order of 27 and a half years, so we are slowly creeping up on two half-lives for the people that were exposed. In summary, methylmercury, CNS poisoning, long time before you start to see symptoms, two to five weeks, um, you're looking at it's highly toxic, but it has been used to preserve grain. Um, methylmercury can be ingested and taken in from the meat of um, other animals that have already eaten it, as well as eating grain as well. Um, poisoning can occur from contaminated fish. Remember that if you are pregnant or looking to become pregnant, the FDA recommends you avoid all things mercury related. Um, just this second to last one in here is just to scare all of my golfer friends out there. Uh, Calichlor and Caligran are some of the last uh, mercury-based fungicides that are being used, and they're being used until depletion. And so last I checked, I think they should be depleted at this point, but they are used to treat golf courses in particular. So if you spend a lot of time on a golf course, you may have a slightly higher detectable level of mercury than those of us that have never golfed. Um, and on the Minimata agreement, one in effect in 2017, um, which really discusses the limited use of mercury in terms of use as a fungicide and as an herbicide. And I think they just saw that the one of the 143rd country just joined, which maybe Algeria is no longer going to use mercury as a fungicide. References, because we all love references and knowing where things go from. Well, thanks so much.